Today on Inside Politics, it's up to you, New York. A special election to replace Republican Congressman George Santos means for a House that's nearly evenly divided and the tea leaves to be reading ahead of November. Plus, an election denier and his daughter-in-law, that's who Donald Trump wants to lead the Republican National Committee, showing the all-but-certain nominee is tightening his vice and calling the shots in the GOP. And disgusting, awful, and unhinged. That's how Nikki Haley is responding to Trump mocking her husband again, who's in uniform serving America overseas. And she released it. She is releasing a new ad in her home state hitting the former president on what he would do in a second term. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. We start in New York, where voters in the state's third congressional district are braving a snowstorm to cast their ballots in a crucial special election. Democrat Tom Swasey, who represented the district for three terms, wants his seat back. He's facing off against Republican newcomer Mozzie Pillup to replace expelled Congressman George Santos. It is as tight as they come with enormous consequences. I want to get straight to Athena Jones, who is at a polling place in Glen Cove on Long Island. Athena, what are you seeing so far? Hi, Dana. Well, we've been to two polling places today. We started out at a middle school nearby early in the morning from about 6 to 8. There were a few voters trickling in. You can see now we're at a boys, the Boys and Girls Club of Glen Cove. It's pretty empty in here, and I've talked to several of the election workers here. One's been at it for eight years, one's been at it for about a dozen years, and both of them said this is the deadest they've seen it in a long time. And they uh, attribute it to, number one, this being a special election, two, the fact that it's snowing, and it's snowing heavily outside. Schools are closed. Maybe a lot of parents aren't commuting into work. They're not voting as they head to the train station to head into the city. Uh, maybe they'll be coming around uh, as we get later in the day. Uh, and they also said that the early voting was pretty strong. More than 80,000 people cast votes early. More of those early votes were Democrats. And of course, those will be tallied first. But I have had a chance to speak to the roughly about 40 voters we've seen in the last four hours. About half of them uh, I spoke to, and they broke down, they broke kind of half and half, um, about eight for Pillip and uh, seven of them were for Swazi. And they talk about exactly the things we've been seeing in the ads. This is the most expensive race of the 24, 2024 election cycle so far because this could be a bellwether race. This, this, this district uh, is encompassed parts of Nassau County and parts of Queens, which is part of New York City. And it's the kind of suburban district that many are looking to to decide uh, the election in 2024 for the White House and for Congress. And so uh, this has been kind of a nationalized race. Lots of spending. Almost every single ad that Mozzie Phillips' campaign has run has been attacking Tom Swazi on immigration, on this idea that he's for open borders. Swazi, for his part, has tried to attack Philip for her stance on abortion or saying that her stance on these issues aren't very, isn't very clear and that uh, if you vote for Philip, you may get another George Santos, which is the ousted uh, congressman they're trying to replace. But the important thing here, Dana, is that this, this district, you know, for a good 30 years, it was leaning uh, Democrat. In the last few years, that's changed quite a bit. Joe Biden won this race, beat Trump by about eight points, by eight points in 2020. And George Santos lost to Tom Suozzi by, uh, by double digits in 2020. But just two years later, Santos was able to beat his Democratic rival by seven points. So you can kind of get a sense of how uh, the mood of the district is changing. And so we'll see what happens and we'll continue to talk to voters as much as we can and see who comes out on top, which party's messaging uh, wins the day. Dana? 
So interesting. And Athena, the, the snow is quite, uh, we don't know how it's going to affect the vote, but I will tell you that uh, this morning Tom Swazi told me in a text, it's snowing on Democrats and Republicans alike. And as you know, I like bipartisanship. So <laughs> trying to... Uh, to and both campaigns are giving rides to the polls. So, oh that. yeah, well that's an important point, very important point. Uh, Athena, thank you so much. Last week I traveled to New York three and spoke to voters as they were coming out of an early voting location about what's driving their choice in this race. Biden has to do something about the border. I know they're trying, and the stupids are, are blocking it so they can blame it on him. I'm concerned about our border our air quality, uh, all the things that are going Climate to affect our change. kids. It has to be the border and everything that's been going on with that. Um, I think you can see the effects of it all over the country, especially even here on Long Island. I try and see both sides of the issues, but <laughs> I just see too much chaos. Joining me now to break all of this down is my great panel of reporters, The Washington Post, Leanne Caldwell, CNN's Eva McKend, and Kevin Fry of New York One. Nice to see you all. Uh, let's just kind of set the table here with how much is being spent and specifically where the, the money is being spent when it comes to the issues, because that's a good roadmap of where the parties and the campaigns think uh, this is going to be decided. On the Democratic side, I'm actually surprised to see that abortion, uh, the ads run 4.5 million on abortion and 4.4 million on immigration and then law enforcement, Social Security and veterans uh, because everybody's talking about the border. And that clearly is where Republicans are putting their money, 8 million on immigration, then law enforcement, uh, taxation, crime and the economy. Uh, you cover uh, New York yeah. uh, for New York One. You've been covering this race in particular. What are you seeing? Well, I mean, look, when it comes to those ads, one of the things that's interesting is that obviously they're hitting on abortion. That hasn't necessarily resonated so much in New York as you saw in 2022, in part because of the codification of abortion rights in law in New York. Mm -hmm. um, and you've also seen movement on Long Island into the red column in recent cycles as well. So Swazi is kind of hitting up against that. At the same time, Swazi has this institutional brand. He's been the mayor. He's been the congressman. He's been the county executive. So he is a known entity coming up against relatively unknown Mozzie Pillip. Mm -hmm. And so there's all of these competing factors that makes it, one, complicated to read too, too much into the results of this election, but also um, has allowed, really, the national politics of immigration to fill the void. Keep in mind, Swazi was out early on trying to put uh, Democrats on the offensive mm -hmm. when it comes to immigration. We'll see how successful he was at that. Yeah, uh, and he's not alone. He's been very uh, sort of trying to be very tough on immigration. In fact, I want you to listen to some of the ads that New Yorkers are seeing pretty much any time they turn on their television, any time they open their phone. I mean, these ads are everywhere in New York. Let's like, let's watch. Tom Swazi rolled out the red carpet for illegal immigrants. I kicked ice out of Nassau County. Illegal immigrants arriving by the busload. Why? Because Tom Swazi repeatedly weakened America's borders. I've been hearing a lot of nonsense blaming Tom Swazi for the migrant problem. Really? As the left pushes to abolish ICE, here now is one of the few Democrats who voted to support this vital agency. ICE is an important government agency. They're smearing Tom Swazi on immigration, but it's Swazi who worked with Republican Peter King to get tough on illegal immigration. As I uh, said to some people when I was there last week, 
It is remarkable that New York, especially out on Long Island, is so far from the southern border. Mm -hmm. And yet the Republican strategy to make this an everyone problem, even and especially in blue states, it's very much working and it's playing out in this race. It's absolutely working. And this is this is really also going to be the first race. Um, it's probably happened a little bit too late. But since this border deal in the Senate collapsed, uh, Democrats are really trying to turn the script on Republicans and saying, look, we had a solution and the Republicans walked away from it. Tom Suozzi has been invoking some of that in his campaigning as well. Um, we'll see if it works. Republican sources I'm talking to say that that Republic that uh, Philip was a little bit behind heading into mm -hmm. today. And so they're they are nervous. Um, and uh, as as Athena said, this is traditionally a Democratic district. Um, they've had a tough two years with George Santos, um, but immigration has really permeated in yeah. the state, especially with what's happening in New York City and the migrants being bused there. Let's look at some of the data you mentioned uh, that Swazi, uh, excuse me, that Mazi Pillup is a bit behind. Uh, let's look at some of the data from the early vote. And this is 80,466 votes cast early, 46% by Democrats, 32% by Republicans, uh, and 22% by other. Now, uh, historically, the uh, Democrats do better at getting their voters out, not just in New York, but pretty much everywhere. The Republicans were trying harder this time. Uh, they didn't do as well in the early vote. They rely much more historically on the day of. Yeah, both parties, though, were pushing it. Yes. And so that is, I think, a good thing, a healthy thing for Republicans to engage in this way because they're only losing votes on the table uh, if they're not participating in the early process. I'm curious to see if this Democratic strategy of sort of relying on old faithful works in this race. They have a penchant for pushing candidates who sometimes aren't all that exciting, are sort of safe bets. And I think that's what Swazi represents. So I'm wondering, does that work? Does that strategy work in a, a race like this one? And then also on the messaging on immigration, will Democrats, if they lose this contest, mm -hmm. have to go back to the drawing board? Is this strategy of sort of trying to at times out demonize immigrants uh, going to really work for them? Maybe not. It, it, go ahead. I was going to say on, on the notion of old faithful, mm -hmm. it's also worth noting that in New York, where you have all these competitive districts that Democrats really need to win if Hakeem Jeffries wants to be Speaker of the House, you are seeing a lot of the leading contenders on the Democratic side of the aisle are repeats of what we saw in mm -hmm. 2022. Yeah. And talking about old faithful, I'm just going to bring in a bit of, of color on that. Um, one of the constituents, the voters in that district, sent me this a postcard that they got from a volunteer, handwritten postcard from a Mazi, excuse me, a Swazi volunteer. Uh, you can see it there. And that is old faithful, old school. I mean, that is about <laughs> as old school as it gets. And the Swazi campaign, they have volunteers, apparently thousands of volunteers, handwriting uh, notes saying, please come and vote. Don't, don't get me wrong, and you know this, uh, the Philip campaign, they have a very big yep. Nassau County Republican machine uh, getting out their vote. Uh, but just on the kind of dynamics in this middle of the road kind of district, one of the things that Swazi, the Democrat, is trying to do is, and you heard me make a joke about the fact that Snow is bipartisan, is separate himself from the left of his party because people in his district are not thrilled by the way the Democratic Party is going. Listen to what he told me. 
I'll stand up to the left of my party, or I'll stand up to anybody if I disagree with what they're saying. Uh, I'm a Democrat. I believe in the basic democratic values, but I'm concerned about the leftward drift in many cases. Well, what's the big attack on me in this race? It's that Tom Swazi's a member of the squad. That's ridiculous. And before you guys come in on this, I just want to make sure everybody understands the big picture here and what, what the stakes are. Uh, we're talking about a balance of power here in Washington. 219 Republicans, 212 Democrats, four are vacant. This race is to fill one of those vacancies. And New York, these areas in and around New York City, they gave Republicans that narrow majority because there were so many what we call crossover districts, districts that Joe Biden won, but Republicans became the, the Congress members in those districts. That's what, one of the many reasons why what we're going to see tonight is so crucial. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yes, looking ahead to just six, seven months from now in November, New York is could give Republicans or Democrats the path to the majority. There's more than a half a dozen seats that are, are, are toss-up seats there. Um, but it's also important to note that whoever wins um, has to run again yeah. in November. In a different map. In it, which is what I was going to say. In a, new, <laughs> in a new redistricted map that could be much more uh, 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 helpful for Democrats. Um, what's interesting about the, uh, Tom Swazi is that he is someone who is trying to undercut Republican attacks on him, not only on immigration, but on, on Israel mm -hmm. as well. We'll see if it works. Yeah. And she's very, very unknown. She is. And, you know, the members of that district took a chance the last time. I don't know if they have an appetite yeah. to take a chance again on an unknown. We'll see. That's why we do what we do. Uh, and be sure to turn, tune in to special coverage right here on CNN tonight to get the latest. And coming up, Trump family takeover as he gets closer to locking down the Republican nomination. He wants Republicans to make his daughter-in-law the new RNC co-chair. We'll talk about that next. Laura Coates Live, tomorrow at 11 Eastern on CNN. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. 
This morning, Chief Justice John Roberts said the special counsel has one week to respond to Donald Trump's latest efforts to claim immunity from prosecution and delay his trials for as long as possible. Now, one key argument that Trump is making is that if the case is allowed to move forward, it would, quote, radically disrupt Trump's ability to run for president. To help us understand the legal side of this, we have Ellie Honig, CNN's senior legal analyst and also a former assistant U.S. attorney. Hey, Ellie, thank you so much for um, for doing this. The, the central argument in this latest move by the Trump team is to get a fair trial, they should delay. Effectively saying, let's just put this off till after the election. From a legal standpoint, how will sort of this transparent linking of his political fortunes to his legal case, case play out? So, Dana, we are truly in untrod territory here. We've never had anyone in this situation before. We've never had anyone facing a potential criminal trial in the process of running for president. So when we talk about something being unprecedented, this is that. Now, my suspicion is that argument will not resonate at all with the justices. Mm -hmm. I don't think they will find it to be a relevant consideration at all. I don't think it's the job of any judge to think about, well, how might a trial inconvenience this person in his professional life? And Dan, really important for our viewers to understand, we've seen Donald Trump at his various civil trials sort of come and go at his own whim. Some days he's there, some days he's not. When the criminal trials start, that no longer becomes optional. Any mm -hmm. criminal defendant must be physically present in court the whole time through. Um, that's very interesting and a, and a key point. How could the different possible Supreme Court decisions, staying on the Supreme Court for a second, affect when we see a Trump trial? Yeah, so the big one happening now is this immunity case. Mm -hmm. This is Jack Smith's prosecution in Washington, D.C., relating to the 2020 election. And I think we'll get a really important answer within the next several weeks. The, the Supreme Court is going to have to decide very soon. First of all, are they going to keep the trial court proceedings stayed or paused? They've been paused for the last two months or so, and Jack Smith will surely ask them to unpause it. But the bigger question is, will the Supreme Court take this case at all. If they reject it, and Jack Smith surely will urge them to reject it, then they're right back in business in the district court and they can schedule a trial, I think, for the likely the late spring, early summer. But if the Supreme Court wants to hear this case and it only takes four justices, mm -hmm. that's going to take several months and that could push this all out till after the election. So the stakes are, are that high. Um, Ellie, let's go back to one of the um, points that you made about the criminal trials that uh, Donald Trump is is facing. Earlier this month, just looking at, at Georgia, rather, you wrote a piece on all the problems that Georgia prosecutor Fonnie Willis is facing as she tries to keep control uh, of her election interference case against Donald Trump and alleged co-conspirators. This week, she's facing a hearing on whether to disqualify her from the case the judge plans to hear evidence on whether Willis financially benefited from a relationship with a special prosecutor she hired to work on the case. Now, it sounds like Willis's problems have only gotten worse. Where do things stand right now and what do you think the impact could be on the case? Yeah, yesterday was a bad day for the DA, Dan. I think her problems continue to multiply. So the allegation that several defendants, including Donald Trump, have made is that there's a conflict of interest, that she has been in this personal romantic relationship with one of the outside people brought in to prosecute this case. She has since admitted that that's true and that there was an intermingling of finances 
that creates a conflict of interest. Yesterday, there was a hearing, a Zoom hearing that we were able to see where the DA's office said, judge, you should just throw this out. There's not even a need to hold a hearing. Well, the judge said, I disagree. There's some serious disputed facts here. Therefore, we're going to have a hearing on Thursday and Dana will be able to watch that live. I think we're bringing it on CNN. That's going to be really interesting to watch, but that is going to be a really problematic proceeding for the DA. It could wind up in the DA or Nathan Wade or both of them being essentially disqualified from this case, which would cause even larger problems as to whether this case ever happens at all. And if so, where and when? So much drama, so much uncertainty. Thank you so much for breaking it all down, or at least some of it all down. (laughs) Ellie, appreciate it. (laughs) And my panel uh, of reporters, they're back here now. Um, Let's just sort of take a beat and think about what we're going to see just this week. We have the, as we were hearing, potentially for the Supreme Court to answer about immunity. Uh, But we also have Georgia the criminal case there, or a hearing about Fonnie Willis, and then New York, don't forget about the New York case, Uh, there is that uh, case about corruption. And this is why Nikki Haley is arguing on the campaign trail that the former president is too distracted to really care about your issues. And then if all of this were not enough, Trump is also trying to remake the RNC to have uh, nothing but sort of emphatic supporters of him. That could be problematic because we know an entity like this is extremely serious. We know the Democrats are heavily outraising Republicans. Uh, and that sometimes in organizations like this, it requires a little check and balance. It seems like Trump is trying to get rid of that altogether at a time yeah. when he is really going to need the RNC, when he has it all on the line. Yeah, no, no question. It, it is tradition for nominees in both parties to have a very heavy hand in who the, yeah. the uh, party chair should be. This particular change um, with Ronna McDaniel, who he did choose back in 2016, he plucked her from Michigan and, and uh, said she should be the RNC chair, pushing her out and instead pushing uh, this uh, Michael Watley from North Carolina, our K-file, looked at uh, the fact that he's very actively, to your point uh, there, Eva, actively parroting Donald Trump's 2020 election lies. So Michael Watley has been someone who has been one of closest, uh, Trump's closest ab- allies. Um, he has been a successful head of the North Carolina Demo- Republican Party. Um, he was elected in 2019. Uh, North Carolina went for Trump in 2020. Um, North Carolina reelected a Republican senator in 2022. Um, with the help of Michael Watley. But I will say, I remember covering that 2022 Senate race, and um, there are a lot of Republicans who did not want Trump in the state to get engaged in that race, and Michael Watley wanted Trump in there. He thought that Trump was good for the state, good for the base, and good for voter turnout. And so this is someone who Trump trusts. This is someone who will do Trump's bidding. Mm -hmm. Um, What is more untested is if Trump... uh, wants his daughter-in-law yeah. to be co-chair of which, the RNC. Which is so Democrats interesting. Democrats also didn't adequately support Cherry Beasley in the con- that contest, but that's for another day. Let's let's look at what you did, the last point you just made mm-hmm. uh, about his daughter-in-law, Laura Trump. This is what uh, Trump said in, uh, in, in a statement. My very talented daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, 
has agreed to run as the RNC co-chair. Laura is an extremely talented communicator, dedicated to all that MAGA stands for. She told me she wants to accept this challenge and would be great. Um, wow. I mean, there's nepotism and then there's this. Now, she, she is an active uh, campaigner right. for and, her father-in-law. And prolifically appears on television yes. and in her social media posts, et cetera, to promote him. Definitely. So this is not outside of the, the realm of that. But obviously throwing a, a personal uh, connection into this capacity does raise some eyebrows. Um, but she has been an effective communicator. Trump likes effective communicator, people that go out there mm -hmm. and fight for her. And I believe there is a history of, of family members sometimes being <laughs> infused into the party. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Jared Kushner yes. helped run his campaign. He and Oh, I meant outside of the White House. I oh, 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 I thought you were just talking about Trump. <laughs> I'm just thinking Ivanka Trump. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. we know we know the history. And that was on a policy level. Right. This, is, this is just politics. You talked about uh, Nikki Haley and her campaign. This is what her campaign manager said. Trump just announced he is rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic under Donald Trump. The current RNC leadership Republicans lost elections in 2018, 2020 and 2022. And now the RNC is effectively bankrupt. I mean, she has to make that argument because they're not supporting her at all. Yeah. Um, she's still in this contest. She's still running this race. But the RNC is basically engaged in a pressure campaign to get her to step out. So this is her pushback. All right, everybody stand by because the Senate just pulled off a rare bipartisan win. So why won't the House Speaker bring their bill to the floor? Shocker. It all comes down to Donald Trump. We'll tell you what the details are after a quick break. Senators are likely grabbing an extra cup of coffee or two today after pulling an all-nighter to pass a $95 billion foreign aid bill. 22 Republicans joined Democrats in voting for critical funding for Ukraine and Israel. Now it's heading to the House, where Speaker Mike Johnson says he's not going to touch it. CNN's Melanie Zanona is on Capitol Hill. Melanie, give us the sense of what is going to happen in the near term in the House. Well, there are very serious questions in the Capitol right now about if and how this foreign aid package is going to pass through the House. As you mentioned, Speaker Mike Johnson put out a statement last night essentially rejecting this legislation as is because it does not include border security provisions, even though it was Johnson and his House Republican conference who helped kill that bipartisan Senate deal to secure the southern border. So there are very serious questions right now. It has caused a lot of frustration on both sides of the aisle. Just Take a look at what Chris Murphy, a Democratic senator who was helping to negotiate that border deal, wrote on social media. He said, the speaker said he wouldn't pass Ukraine funding without a border deal. And we got a deal, and then he killed the deal because he said we didn't need a deal. And now he says he won't pass our Ukraine funding bill because it doesn't include a border deal. Honestly, WTF. <laughs> and meanwhile, the topic of Ukraine aid has really divided the GOP, especially with Donald Trump coming out so forcefully against it. Just listen. Let's rebuild our own country before we overextend ourselves any multi-pronged conflict. I mean, this is something out of every history book for how empires fail. If we fail to help Ukraine, Putin will invade a NATO nation. We must be clear-eyed. Ukraine is not the end. It is a step. If it's between rebuilding another nation or rebuilding this one, we're going to rebuild this one. If it's between securing another nation's borders or our own, we're going to secure our own. 
Now, there could be an effort by Democrats in the House to use what's known as a discharge petition. That is a tool that would essentially force a foreign aid bill to the floor going over Johnson's head. But that is a tricky and time consuming mm -hmm. process. And it also would require buy in from Republicans. So, again, the fate of this foreign aid package is really uncertain right now. And Melanie, there's another idea out there, which is in order to get Ukraine and Israel, most importantly, in the eyes of many Democrats and Republicans there, as you know, uh, Ukraine, to get them the aid that they need right now. And that is to call it a loan, not an actual uh, direct payment. This is what Lindsey Graham said in a statement. The supplemental aid package should be a loan to the countries in question, as suggested by, by President Trump. A loan on friendly terms allows America was deeply in debt, a chance to get our money back and changes the paradigm of how we help others. President Trump is right to insist that we think outside the box. This is fascinating because um, it's not only about border security, which obviously we know was a big issue uh, with regard to linking these two together. It's also about the fact that a lot of Republicans led by Donald Trump, they don't want to use any more taxpayer dollars to help Ukraine. And right. so this is a way to call it a loan, maybe make it technically a loan and uh, save, save face for everybody. Yeah, and those comments from Graham that you point out were so remarkable, Dana, because he has long been one of the exactly. biggest supporters of Ukraine aid. So to now hear him echoing what Donald Trump said over the weekend, which is that foreign aid should now always be provided in the form of a loan, which is, you know, flies in the face of how the United States Congress has operated in terms of our posture towards foreign countries. We provide aid to all sorts of countries, not just in the supplemental. So it's just another example of mm -hmm. how Donald Trump has really tightened his grip on the GOP, and it's probably only going to get tighter in the months ahead as he steamrolls his way to the nomination, Dana. That's exactly right. It's such important context. Uh, people like Lindsey Graham don't necessarily believe that a loan should happen, but it's a necessary uh, idea to get around Donald Trump and his opposition and therefore the opposition of so many uh, where you are in the House. Thank you so much, Melanie, for that reporting. Up next, Donald Trump goes low. Er. His latest attempt to mock Nikki Haley's husband, who's serving his country in uniform overseas. We're going to talk about that and more with the chief strategist of Nikki Haley's Super PAC. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them on Be My Guest, the podcast. New friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Right now, Nikki Haley is kicking off her second campaign event of the day. She's in the middle of a two-week bus tour through South Carolina, her home state, where things are not looking great for her campaign. CNN's Kylie Atwood is in Haley's hometown of Bamberg, South Carolina. She just held a rally there this morning. Kylie. 
Yeah, well, this is certainly an opportunity for Nikki Haley to take stock of how far her campaign has come since they launched a year ago this week. And she talked about the fact that uh, she has defeated all of the other contenders in the race and that there is one person that she still has to catch up to. But of course, Dana, she has an incredibly uphill climb if she's going to catch up to former President Trump. He won in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and a recent poll out just this week from CBS shows that he has a commanding lead in the state of South Carolina uh, ahead of her by 35 points. So her campaign says that they feel like there are factions of the electorate here in South Carolina that are going to show up for her, folks who have recently moved into the state uh, or folks who typically don't vote in a primary, only vote in a general election. But we'll just have to watch and see if that actually happens. One of the things that Haley did today was to go after former President Trump for trying to install his allies at the RNC. Listen to what she said. Now he has decided he has fired the RNC chair. He's named who's going to be the new RNC chair. His daughter-in-law will be the co-chair. And he is making his campaign manager the, the officer that runs the party. Think about what's happening right now. Is that how you're going to try and take an election? Now, her description of what's actually happening with these conversations about RNC leadership wasn't entirely accurate, but her point is that uh, Trump is trying to use the RNC before he is actually the party's nominee, which isn't allowed. That's a point she's made before, but she's hitting on it again uh, right now. And her campaign, for their part, is investing here in South Carolina pretty heavily, putting $2 million more into an advertising campaign here and out with a new ad just today going after Trump on policies, on chaos, uh, these themes that we have heard from Nikki Haley throughout the entire course of her campaign. Dana? Kylie, thank you so much for that report. Uh, this all brings me to our next guest. Mark Harris is chief strategist for the pro-Haley super PAC that has spent tens of millions of dollars in ads for Haley in the early states. Mark, thank you so much for being here. You, you know very well that she is vowing to stay in the race through Super Tuesday. There are real questions about her path forward. Por uh, polls show that she's trailing Donald Trump in her home state of South Carolina. The um, contest there is in a couple of weeks. If she can't win in her home state, should she stay in the race? Look, we are we feel very confident about South Carolina. Nikki's out there every day being the happy warrior, talking about why she is the best answer to the chaos. And, you know, that look, having two, you know, as she says, the White House shouldn't be a nursing home, right? Having someone who can run on these issues that voters care about and motivate them and win this election, right? And so she's gonna continue to go out there and make that case. Uh, we're doing much better in South Carolina than the public polls show. I feel very confident about what's going to happen, uh, you know, in just under two weeks there in South Carolina. And we're working hard every what? day to make sure every voter who agrees with Nikki me Nikki's message gets out the vote. What are you seeing that uh, we're not seeing in public poll after public poll? Look, I, I think, you know, look, I, I always say keep calm and ignore public polling because, uh, you know, what we spend on polling is much more than the public, you know, public polling can afford to spend. Um, and what our data shows is that this is a, an increasingly close race. We are gaining on Donald Trump every day, that Nikki's message is resonating, that as they hear more about her message and about the end to this chaos 
and that we need someone who's going to be strong, strong against Russia, strong on Ukraine, strong for Israel, you know, strong on the border, that that is what is helping us, that people are tired of the chaos. They want to move on. And, you know, that's really why voters are, you know, we're seeing in our data that we're making a lot of ground. We're still the underdog. We're the insurgent campaign. But, you know, I think you can see Mickey's having fun out there telling the story about why she should be the next president of the United States. Mark, your group SFA fund has spent just over $2.4 million so far in advertising in South Carolina. You spent over $50 million combined in Iowa and New Hampshire. Are you running out of money? No, we have plenty of money. We're just placing several million more dollars of advertising just today. We will have the resources to support Nikki as long as she's in this race. You know, voters, whether it was, you know, President Trump's attack on donors, whether it's his, uh, his attack on, uh, you know, Ambassador Haley's husband, those things that actually helped motivate donors. My phone's been ringing off the hook. We will continue to spend money. We will have the resources that are needed to make sure that Nikki is able to run this, the, the type of race that she needs to run to be successful. Let's look at some of the content of, uh, of what you are saying in, in some of these ads, continuing to warn that Donald Trump means chaos. But it doesn't seem to be resonating with enough Republican voters to make a difference. Um, they know Donald Trump. They've seen Donald Trump. They continue to see him uh, and what he's uh, saying. Do you think that the message needs to be adjusted even at this late stage of the game? Look, no, I, look, I think, you know, Nikki was, you know, we 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 had a strong showing in Iowa, in the, but, you know, it was below 20. We got into the, the 40s in New Hampshire. We're going to do better than that in South Carolina, right? And so, and South Carolina, quite frankly, is a harder state in many ways for like sort of demographically for Nikki Haley. And so, I think you're going to see a very strong showing. It's going to shock a lot of people um, coming up in this election because voter, you know, there is we are assembling a coalition of voters who want that change. And, you know, we are very encouraged. The early voting number, we're encouraged by the early voting numbers. We're encouraged by the people who are who are going to come out and vote. We think this is going to be a historically high turnout in South Carolina. It's going to put us in a position to win. You um, said that she is going to surprise people. It will be a high turnout. She'll get a good number. Is she going to win? Look, the goal is the goal is to win every state. That's what we're fighting for. Yeah, I mean, look, but will that's she? what we want to do in South Carolina. But as she's been clear, she just needs to keep improving as we go. We are still very early on in this process, and we're very encouraged that we will do better in South Carolina than we did in New Hampshire. This morning, the former president is again mocking the overseas deployment of Governor Haley's husband, saying that he should come back home to help save her dying campaign. It's not the first time he's gone after service members. He, uh, in a very uh, strident way, mocked Senator John McCain back in 2016, prisoners of war, denigrated gold star families and a lot more. Um, He's never paid a political price in the uh, Republican primary sphere for comments like that. What does that say to you about the way voters approached and are continuing to approach who they want as their nominee in the party? Look, 
you know, the verdict's going to come in the election in just a few days in South Carolina. There's a huge population of veterans in South Carolina who are going to get to have their vo- their voice heard. Uh, I think Nikki Haley's been very clear about this. You know, Michael is serving our country. He, he can't come home. He is required to be there um, to serve our country. Uh, you know, I think voters are going to be pretty sent a pretty clear message about how they feel about this. And, you know, I think the, the growing crowd sizes, again, the very encouraging early vote numbers that we've seen and, and the, the internal polling that we've seen, we're very encouraged about our momentum. And I think these incidents are just going to help fuel, uh, you know, fuel Nikki's campaign. She's always been the happy warrior on the trail, offering a very different, much more optimistic vision of Americans, America's future. Uh, and we believe that that's going to pay off on Election Day because it's the right thing to do. She's the best candidate. That's why she's out there making the case. And we're, we feel very confident about how things are going to turn out. Mark Harris, chief strategist for SFA Fund, a pro Nikki Haley Super PAC. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dana. Be sure to join us tonight for special live coverage of the crucial election today in New York. Will the slim House majority by the Republicans shrink even further? Our special election night starts at 8 p.m. Eastern right here on CNN. Thank you so much for joining Inside Politics. CNN New Central starts after the break. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.